the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And at point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. As we go through this passage, we're going to see several obstacles. Actually, there are three of them or hindrances that prevented this man from placing his trust in Christ as a Savior. And that's why this section of Scripture is so applicable for us, so relevant for us. Because like the rich young ruler, there are many people today who know the gospel of Christ. They have some familiarity with the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the Bible, biblical Christianity, but they still refuse to place their trust in Christ. These days, we tend to think of idolatry as something that went away centuries ago. No way would modern people worship a carved chunk of wood, right? Uh, But these aren't the only kinds of idols. Today's idols are more in the self than on the shelf. And they still keep many people from trusting Jesus. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve is beginning a new series of lessons from the Gospel of Matthew. We'll start by taking a look at an interesting conversation Jesus had with a young man who seemed quite sincere, but in the end was too attached to his stuff to receive the gift that Jesus offered him. That's easy for us to criticize the young man's reluctance to obey, but what would you do if Jesus told you to give away everything you owned? Think about it. Would you give up your house, your car, your retirement account, even your smartphone? And, and then leave your job to wander the countryside with someone you just met? Well, that's a pretty big pill to swallow. Why did Jesus tell him to do that? He didn't tell us to do that, and there's no record in the Bible of him making that kind of demand of anyone else. But we'll discover the answer to that question as we move through the passage. But first, let's deal with another puzzling statement Jesus made. Here's Pastor Steve to tell us about it. Let's open our Bibles once again to the Gospel of Matthew, where we left off a few weeks ago, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, I want to read to you starting at verse 16. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? He said to him, Why are you asking me about what's good? There is only one who's good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. These verses make up one of the most unique passages of Scripture. In fact, there's really 
nothing quite like this story found anywhere else in the Bible. Let me point out some of the distinct feature, features of this section of Scripture. First of all, this is the only time in the Bible where we read that Christ's direct invitation to follow him was refused. Matthew tells us that this man, after being told by Jesus to follow him, actually walked away from the Lord, walked away from him, and he did not commit himself to becoming one of his followers. Very unusual. Secondly, this is the only instance in the Gospels where someone who knelt at the feet of Jesus, we know he knelt at his feet because Mark in his parallel account tells us that, the only time where someone who knelt at the feet of Jesus left the Lord in worse shape than when he arrived. Mark tells us that he actually approached Jesus by running to him, running up to the Lord and kneeling and then asking him how to obtain eternal life, which does indicate that this man had an eagerness to find out how to be saved. But after Jesus spoke to him, we read not only did this man walk away from the Lord, but he walked away grieving in his heart. Mark says that his face fell. Luke says that he became very sad. And so he went from eagerness to sadness in just a matter of of minutes after speaking with Jesus. And folks, that is highly unusual. The third unique feature of this passage is that this is the only account in Scripture that we, we read of Jesus telling somebody to sell all that you have, all your possessions, and give them to the poor. We, we read of no other place in the Bible where Jesus said this to anybody else, but he said it to this young man. Now, with all of these distinct features, it is especially important for us to be very careful in how we interpret this passage of Scripture because its uniqueness has led to a great deal of misunderstanding and confusion. For example, some have been puzzled over Christ's question in verse 7, 17, rather, why are you asking me about what's good? There is only one who is good. Both Mark and Luke reveal that Jesus also said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And, and that's really puzzled people, and we understand why that's puzzled people, because it certainly sounds as if Jesus is claiming not to be God, It sounds as if the Lord is saying, why ask me about what's good? Only God is good, so you should be asking him, not me. So we understand that this can be a little puzzling. Also, some have been confused over why Jesus would respond to this man's request about what he must do to obtain eternal life by pointing him to the Ten Commandments, then telling him on top of the Ten Commandments to sell all that he possessed and give it to the poor. It looks as if Jesus was teaching this man's salvation could be obtained by works, keeping the commandments and giving his money to the poor. Yet to everyone else, Jesus spoke of salvation by grace through faith alone. So people have looked at this and wondered, why did he say this? And then notice in verse 23, the the verse after the passage or the interaction between Jesus and the man ends, notice verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he went on to say in verse 24, again I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is our Lord's explanation about why this man actually walked away from him and from salvation. So did Jesus mean that people with a lot of money can never be saved? Well, that's what some think, and it has puzzled many people. So we can see that that just by looking at a few 
issues in this passage, we can see that there are a number of knotty theological questions that we need to answer if we are to correctly understand what God is saying in this unique passage of Scripture. However, However, rather than starting off this morning by focusing on these things and what we don't understand, let's begin by looking at some of the truths here, truths revealed in these verses that we do understand. And that's a good guideline for how to study the Bible. There are things that we don't understand in the scriptures, but begin with what you do understand and then the other things generally unfold in our thinking. First of all, we know that this story deals with a man who is young, he's wealthy, and he's a ruler of some sort. He is commonly referred to as the rich young ruler, and he's called this, and we know these things about him, because of the composite picture that the three similar gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke give about him. Matthew reveals in verse 20 that this man was young. How young? Not sure. Probably in that culture, it means uh, under 30 years of age. And then in verse 22, Matthew tells us that he was rich because he owned much property. Luke, in his gospel record, tells us that this man was a certain ruler. Now, what what that means, we're we're not told. Where he ruled, what he ruled, Luke doesn't tell us. Probably he was a ruler in a Jewish synagogue in that area, maybe the area of Perea, or else he was a leader in some Jewish religious organization or group or sect. But we do know that this was a a young man of some prominence who had a great deal of wealth. That's what we know about him. Secondly, we also know that the reason this rich young ruler came running to Jesus was to ask him how to be saved. The way he put it was how to obtain eternal life. That's how the passage starts off. It says in verse 16, someone came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? In other words, he wanted Jesus to tell him how to enter God's kingdom. He wanted to know how to be saved. He realized that something was lacking in his life. Something was missing. Even though, as we'll see, he claimed to be an observant Jewish man, observant of all the Jewish laws, yet he recognized that salvation was not his. He had not been saved. And he thought that Jesus, as a noted rabbi, could tell him what to do to get salvation. Now, folks, this is an important issue to know. It's important to know that this man's quest to find eternal life and salvation is the key to understanding the point of this passage of Scripture, the message, the purpose of the passage. You see, the divine purpose of this story is to address the issue of salvation. That's what it's about, addressing the issue of salvation. And this is precisely why, note this, this incident immediately follows Christ's teaching about children and the kingdom of heaven. This is a story of contrast. As you'll recall from our last study of Matthew 19, Jesus told his disciples in verse 14 not to hinder the children from coming to him. Remember, some parents had wanted Jesus to bless their children, and Jesus, uh, we read, his disciples rather forbid them and, and felt like the master's too busy for little kids to be blessed. But Jesus said, stop hindering the children from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such 
as these. In other words, those who are saved possess the same childlike faith and humility found in all children. But it's important to notice that in the story that follows immediately after this, we, we meet this rich young ruler who is the complete opposite of the child likeness that Jesus was referring to. In stark contrast to the helpless dependency of a child, this man is self-righteous. He is a self-righteous lover of money who isn't willing to part with his considerable wealth. And unlike little children, this man is stubborn, he's unteachable, and he's proud. And as I said, he's self-righteous. And you know what? Unlike those who become like little children and are converted, this guy doesn't receive salvation. He walks away from Jesus. He walks away from salvation. He knows the truth, but he refuses to submit to the truth. And that is the whole point of the story. You see, what emerges from this passage of Scripture is not a success story about how to evangelize prominent people who seem interested in the gospel. This This wealthy young man did seem interested in learning how to be saved. That's the point of him running to Jesus. That's the point of him being very direct and asking the Lord, how do I have a relationship with God? But when Jesus was finished witnessing to him, the rich young ruler didn't didn't have a personal relationship with, with God. He didn't have one. Instead of being saved, walking away, forgiven of his sins and rejoicing, he walked away from Christ sad, grief-stricken, and still lost. And there is no record in Scripture that he ever came to faith in Christ. To the best of our knowledge, this man is in hell today thinking about how close he came to the kingdom and yet how far he really was and is. See, the primary purpose and message of these verses is to reveal the obstacles. Note this, it is is a message about the obstacles that kept this man and others like him from receiving Christ Christ. In salvation. As we go through this passage, we're going to see several obstacles. Actually, there are three of them or hindrances that prevented this man from placing his trust in Christ as a Savior. And that's why this section of Scripture is so applicable for us, so relevant for us. Because, like the rich young ruler, there are many people today who know the gospel of Christ. They have some familiarity with the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the Bible, biblical Christianity, but they still refuse to place their trust in Christ. And although they may give some scholarly sounding reasons for not believing in Jesus, these reasons are only invalid excuses. You see, even even though there are several factors that contributed to the rich young ruler walking away from Jesus, there is a bottom line to this. The bottom line reason he did not follow Christ was because he made money his idol. It was his God. He worshiped it, and he wasn't willing to give up the God of riches for Jesus being his God and Lord of his life. He already had a God, and no man can serve two masters. That's why this incident is so pertinent for us, because some of you may be hindered from coming to Christ in genuine faith and repentance simply because of some idol in your life that you're holding on to and you refuse to give up. And if you continue to hold on to this idol and never give it up, it will damn your soul for all of eternity. Now, your idol may not be the love of money or possessions. You may not be a materialist. Those things may not mean that much to you, but you may indeed have an idol that you love so much that you will not let go of it. 
and it keeps you from Christ. Perhaps it's an immoral lifestyle or a relationship you know is wrong, but you refuse to give it up for Christ. Or maybe you're so consumed with trying to be successful in in your career that there's no place for Christ to reign as Lord in your life. You already have something reigning as Lord in your life, and that is your career and the success that drives you to that career and wanting to be very successful. Or maybe it's an idol of wanting your family's approval so badly that you will not disappoint them by rejecting the way they brought you up religiously for faith in Christ. Regardless of of what might be hindering you, what idol might be holding you back, the story of the rich young ruler is applicable for all of us because it's in his life and his values that many of us can see ourselves. As we go through the story of the rich young ruler, we're going to discover, as I said, that there are three obstacles that hindered him from coming to Christ. So in principle, it's these same three obstacles that continue to keep people out of the kingdom 2,000 years later. So this is very, very pertinent and relevant for us. So the first, as we get into our text, the first obstacle to this man's salvation that we see was that he had a deficient view of God's character. He had a flawed view of God's character. Notice verse 16. And someone came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit or I may obtain eternal life? Now, as I told you, according to Mark's account of this story, just as Jesus was about to leave the area of Perea, modern day Jordan, probably on his way to Jerusalem, A man, Mark tells us, came running up to him, and apparently this man was hurrying to reach Jesus before the Lord left his community because he wanted to ask Jesus an important question. And so Mark tells us that upon reaching Jesus, this man drops to his knees, which was, by the way, a position of great respect, reverence towards Christ. And while on his knees before the Lord, probably still breathing heavily from running, just trying to catch his breath, he asked Jesus this question. Teacher, he says, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Now, this wasn't a question that was unique to this man. He's not the first man to ever ask this question. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, we read about another man who asked a similar question. And why? Because that was on the hearts and minds of Jewish people of that era. They wanted to know how to be in a right relationship with God. It was a religious community. They wanted to know how to be sure they were in his kingdom. They wanted to know how they could know that they were saved. And keep in mind, in Jewish thinking in that era, eternal life and entering God's kingdom were synonymous terms. They meant the same thing. We know this because in verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus equated this man's request for eternal life with entering the kingdom of heaven. And so this man has come running to Jesus because he was in search of finding out how to enter into salvation. And you know what? He had a lot of positive things going for him. He, he really did. He was reverent, as indicated by the fact that he knelt before Christ. That was a great sign of respect. He was devoted in his religious service, since he was probably a synagogue official. He was 
outwardly moral and virtuous in his life, as we'll see as we go through this, by his own admission, he said that he kept the Ten Commandments. Yet, with all of these positive things in his life, he still knew that something was missing. Even though the rich young ruler had been so strict in his observance of his religion, he knew that he was still coming short in his quest for eternal life. He didn't have it. But note this. He mistakenly thought that there was something that he needed to do, some religious work, some commandment, some righteous deed. He felt if he could just find out from this great rabbi what it was, he could be saved. Now, please take note of this man's situation because there is an important principle revealed by the man's spiritual condition. Those who think like this man did, that salvation can be attained by their own works of righteousness rather than by God's grace, understand this, they can never be satisfied. They can never be satisfied in thinking that they're going to heaven because as moral and as ethical as they might be, they are still left with the question, have I done enough? Have I done enough? This man, we'll see, later said, I have kept all of the Ten Commandments. No, he hadn't, but he thought he did, and yet he still didn't think it was enough. In other words, if salvation is by works, then how many works do I have to do? How many good deeds do you have to do to earn heaven? What if you come up one deed short? And what is that deed? See, that's the tragedy and the bondage of religion. Religion pushes you to always strive to do one more thing to think of gaining God's favor. And you know what? It is exhausting because it's never enough. There is no end in sight. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He wasn't talking about life being difficult. Now, that's true. But he was talking about the heaviness that comes from the bondage of trying to keep all of God's laws and then traditions and legalism thrown in on top of that. Come to me, all who are weary from this, and I'll give you rest for your souls. And so this young, rich ruler has done everything he knows to do, yet he still has this uneasy feeling in his heart that he lacks something. He longs for the joy, he longs for the peace in his heart that comes from knowing that all of his sins have been forgiven. And so what he wants to know from this rabbi, this Jesus, is tell me what good thing I still need to do to enter God's kingdom. Now I want to stop here for a moment in order to think about something important. Think about this. Think about how you would react if you found yourself in a similar situation as Jesus was in that day. What would you do, for example, if a man or a woman sitting next to you on an airplane saw you reading your Bible or some Christian book and asked you how to obtain eternal life? What would you do? What would you say? Or what would you say to someone at work who knows you're a Christian if they said, please explain to me, of course, after hours, don't, don't take away from your boss's time that he's paying you for, but after hours, explain to me how I can become a Christian. I've been observing you, and, and I want to know about your faith. Listen, what would we do? Most of us know exactly what we would do. We would go through the plan of salvation. Pastor Steve Kreloff will deal with that issue and more on the next Verse by Verse. Until then, here's a sneak peek. If you give the plan of salvation, you need to include the reason 
for the need of salvation or your friend won't have any reason to receive the salvation. They'll compare themselves to other people and certainly find that there are lots of folks more evil than they are. We need to compare ourselves to God, not to each other, because God doesn't grade on a curve. In fact, no one can pass His test. So the only option for us is His grace. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Lakeside Street address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. And the web address is lakesidechapel.com. Go online to find directions and service times or call the office at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. Or go to lakesidechapel.com. If you'd like to help support Verse by Verse financially, you can do so by phone at the number I just mentioned, or you can visit the giving page at versebyverseradio.org to give online. Thank you for partnering with us to keep these Bible lessons on the air. There's also a message archive page so you can stream or download any of our previous broadcasts. That's at versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. In the Old Testament days when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice for the sins of his people, he had to go through an extensive purification process. And even then, the other priests had to tie a rope around his ankle in case he died in there because they would not be able to survive it if they tried to go in and retrieve him. God is that holy. But today, we just call him the man upstairs. With that kind of attitude, we'll never... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.